0: and we're live
1: welcome back game of thronians or <laughs> thronies i like thronies welcome- thronies
0: works for me
1: thronies works for me welcome back or welcome to the pop culture theologians we're so glad you joined us for this recap of all things game of thrones um we're so excited to be back and doing season three can't believe we're in season three. Um, Well, season
0: three of Pop Culture Theologians, not Game of Thrones.
1: If we were only on season three of Game of Thrones.
0: Oh, my God. This podcast (laughs) would
1: still only be 17 hours. (laughs) Yes, season three of Pop Culture Theologians, amazing. And the final season of Game of Thrones, where we're going to recap it for you. And in order to recap properly, you definitely want to be following us on all the social media. You can find us on Twitter at Pop Culture Theologians. Oh, I'm sorry, at Pop Theologians, and then on Facebook at Pop Theologians as well. And then also make sure you're subscribed to our host website, The Engaged Gaze, where there are amazing articles. And we host this podcast um, as well as another one, our sister podcast, Bible Bitches.
0: Very but, exciting. Marcy,
1: where can we find you on the interwebs?
0: So you can find me on Twitter at I am the men who can. And I say this every time we open a podcast, but I'm guessing we've got some new listeners. Uh, I am the men who can is a reference to wonder woman. Cause I'm a huge comic book nerd.
1: Exactly. And the is, rage
0: fanboy is saying, no, she's not.
1: No, she's not. And mine's <laughs> just really basic. You can follow me at J Erickson 85. Um, so Marcy, <laughs> You know, besides being basic, do you want to break down how we do this non-basic but awesome podcast?
0: Sure. So, okay. We've tested out a lot of different ways of kind of podcasting out pop culture shows. And for Game of Thrones, what we're going to do is for this episode, we're going to recap where we left everyone off at the end of season seven.
1: All (laughs) 13,640.
0: Characters. Right. So <laughs> recap everyone. Recap the main characters where we left them off and do a little bit like so John and I don't get screeners or anything like that. So like we might do some predictions of where we think it's gonna go. We have no fucking clues. So you know, you're on for the ride. We're really excited. We have no idea what's going on. Uh, for the rest of the season, what we're probably going to do for the most part is because each of these episodes, um, the first two are regular length, the um, last four, there's six episodes. The last four are hour and 20 hour and 20 something. Um, so it's a lot to recap bit by bit of what happens. So what we like to do, that's a little different than some other podcasts is we will talk to you about what we think worked in an episode and what we think did not work in an episode and where we think it's going. So we kind of are, are, under the expectation that you're coming in listening, like you already watched the episode, which I mean, honestly, why would you watch, uh, why would you listen to a podcast if you haven't listened to the episode yet? So that's kind of how we do it. The other thing that we do at Pop Culture Theologians is acknowledging that the world around us is kind of crazy and Game of Thrones-esque. Uh, we do start every episode with a segment called What the Fuck Happened This Week? And we break down a couple of the like craziest stories coming out of like politics and pop culture uh of the week before we go into our our deep dives on the show so did i forget anything john
1: no but definitely if you're new to the podcast you can definitely go and subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud um and stitcher where all your podcasts can be found and if you want to listen to seasons one and two of our podcast season one we recapped the purge films and the usa tv show um season two um We just recapped uh, A Discovery of Witches, which aired on Sundance Now, but now is um, streaming and going episode by episode on AMC. So if you definitely want to go back and check those out, we highly encourage it.
0: hundred percent. We are not a child-friendly podcast. Not that I think we need to make that explicit here. Um, None of the shows we've really covered have been child-friendly, but I have the mouth of a sailor. And John, John, you have the heart of a lion, but I do have the mouth of a sailor. I have,
1: I have the heart of an angel. Oh my God. <laughs> speaking of lies, no, uh, um, speaking of uh, crazy things, Marcy, what the fuck happened this week?
0: Ugh, so a lot's happened this week. Um, actually, stuff happened today that I was like, I'd really like to discuss it. But let's start off with uh, Christian Nielsen. I can never say your name because of that fucking J. It's Kristen. Kristen Nielsen has resigned from the uh, Department
1: of Homeland, Homeland Security.
0: Security. I, I struggle to call it that since what I really want to call it is the Department of Putting Children in Cages. Um, interestingly enough, apparently she's not radical enough for the position. So so Trump fired her via Twitter. I mean, she put in a resignation letter, but 100% she was fired via Twitter. Um, I don't know. Like, I. Harry Potter reference number one for those of you that don't know this is a reoccurring theme it's really hard to imagine someone worse than Dolores Umbridge Uh, and that's kind of how I view Kristen Nielsen it's someone who she's not like fantastically evil in the sense of like a, a Voldemort or a Night King per se she's just fucking evil like a Joffrey and who chooses to be evil day in and day out so i'm just nervous i mean john who do you put in her place that's more radical than that she'll forever be known as the woman who put children in cages
1: yeah um i definitely think trump and his white nazi supremacist supporters right now are currently consulting resurrection spills to see if hitler's available um because that's literally the craziness of which our world is available because (laughs) our president is a white supremacist. So Stephen Miller. (laughs) So Stephen Miller, the reincarnation of Hitler in many ways because he's an awful racist zealot, um, probably will get the post. But to say the least about Kristen Nielsen, bye, bye Felicia. Um, Dolores Umbridge looks at you and says, whoa, girl, too far. Like, you know... Yeah, well played. She will... There are news articles coming about her stellar administrative career and that she'll always be known as the woman that put children in cages. As Marcy said many podcast episodes ago, you have a decision when you get these requests. You can either say yes or no. She could either have declined that and resigned and kept her integrity intact, but she didn't. She chose the other path. And forever, because That's of that, she's. That's who she's going to be.
0: I hope it's on her tombstone someday. So speaking of of, of other like extreme evil, uh, moving to the state of Florida, my, my uh, current home state. Uh, so <laughs> yesterday they found a 17-foot anaconda uh, out in the glades. Um, so for folks who aren't from Florida, I'm so jealous. Um, I'm actually Californian uh, by birth, Floridian by trap. Um, but a 17-foot anaconda, Harry Potter reference number two, Nagini, uh, that's just not right. And no, then... For, not right. No, and for folks who don't know how this happens, uh, Florida has a huge wildlife, um, like, trade, like, underground trade that happens. And for a few years, anacondas were really popular. Uh, okay. And then people were like, oh, shit, this isn't, like, a cool pet. This is, like, a predator. Um, and then they would just dump them in their lakes and their backyards, and they have no natural predator in Florida. So that's how you end up with like a fucking snake the size of an airplane.
1: This uh, is my nightmare, and I, I really know. would feel comfortable if we moved on from this story. It's just
0: awful. And then the final one, uh, I love Colts, so um, I've been – See
1: season one of Pop Culture Theologians where we talk about The Purge.
0: Right. Yeah. I really do love cults. Uh, I was in one. Nexium, the cult coming out of... So I've been following it through Vancouver and like upstate New York. Um, some folks, including Alex Mack from Smallville, finally pled guilty. If you haven't been following this story, oh my gosh, please follow it. It's extremely interesting. Um, There's a great podcast actually called Uncover that their first season was on the Nexium cult. They're like the cult with like the sex slaves that were being branded. What was interesting was they were recruiting uh, like Hollywood stars for their cult thinking hopefully they could land a Tom Cruise, they unfortunately only (laughs) landed Allison Mack from Smallville, but she actually pled guilty this week, um, including some other, um, folks, uh, some heiresses from New York. They've all pled guilty to like human enslavement, racketeering, a bunch of other stuff. And I was just kind of like, man, I've been following this story for years. So it's interesting to see some sort of movement there, um, It's interesting, too, because it's all women slaves functioning for this one dude who leads the cult. So, interesting turn of events there. We'll keep following that story. But
1: But when we think about Game of Thrones, this story isn't really that shocking.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Game of Thrones uh, makes our world look a little uh, prudish, to say the least. So, with that, I think, John, it's time to figure out where we last left off in Game of Thrones.
1: Okay. So we are going to be starting off with some of my favorite people, the Lannisters. So where are the Lannisters and their folks, their people, their kinfolk, are their sisters, their peeps, <laughs> um, their boyfriends or girlfriends or wives? We don't really know, but siblings. where are That's the Lannisters? Where are their siblings? Um, so Cersei, um, who is one of my Favorite characters for many reasons of the show, just because I think it's really com- She's really complex, and I love obviously Lena Headley, who plays her. Um, so, Cersei has zero children now. Um, Jamie has basically left her for now. I definitely think that there's going to be something that happens there in the end. She says she is pregnant. Um, she's, I guess, engaged to Euron Greyjoy, and she's all alone, which means she's crazy, dangerous mad king-esque Cersei at the moment
0: right so so Cersei I think one of the things we know was like kind of very defined by being a mother right while she's like a super powerful woman the only softness the only goodness we've ever kind of seen with Cersei is her children her children are gone by the end of this season right um if we'll remember uh the Sept of like at Tommen, when he sees that the Tyrells, including his love Marjorie, have been wiped out, jumps out a window and Cersei's kind of like, oh. But what's interesting is she doesn't have the, the regular reaction I would have. I would think she would have because I think she's too far gone. I think at this point, she's kind of like a shell of a person who, like, the only thing driving her is, is power, like her want for power, right?
1: I think um, she accepted it. I think, like, right. by doing what she was going to do at the Septa Baelor, she knew what could happen.
0: I still think, like, her reaction was so crazy to me, just because I there's some, there's, I'm referencing back to earlier seasons, there's a point where Tyrion's talking to Cersei and he kind of says, like, you know, your children are, like, the best of you. And I think that that is true. So you're right. Maybe what, I, what I'm what i seeing is when, when Cersei sees Tom and jump and kind of processes that, that's, like, her moment of, like, all right, I've officially, like... The, like, it's, like, that was her last Horcrux. She's officially done, right? She is who she is now. And I think maybe yeah. that has to do with why I think Jaime is, has Like, we do know Jaime is going north, right? He turns away from her when... Um, even after she's like, I'm pregnant, and he's like, Bye. I'm not sure he believes that she's pregnant. Um, but even if he does, he's just, I'm out, right? And he's he's heading north. I'm like, hopefully to find Brienne. And then we all know like Euron is like a pawn. Like she's not really gonna fuck Euron and marry him, right? Mm-hmm. She just needs him to grab the golden company. So so yeah, we we leave season seven with a very very lonely
1: dangerous
0: yeah because i was about to say people are like she's like broken i'm like nah no 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 she's dangerous because she has nothing to lose like that's your like i the people you should be afraid of are folks who have nothing left to fucking lose and like what does she have to lose at this point
1: well nothing and i think that's like when you really see how dangerous people get just like you're talking about and this is like marinated cersei like she has been cooking and like marinating through all the stuff that's happened to her life that we've seen in the episodes that we technically did not see that's either in the books or that was kind of like behind the scenes and we are finally at this moment where like all of that has played a role in influencing her she's been planning i mean the look when she does the walk of shame and then um the mountain, like, picks her up and that look on her face of, like, she will have her revenge. Like, she is there. Like, she is ready. And, like, everyone better watch out.
0: Sean, when's the last time you did a walk of shame?
1: <laughs> mm, it's been a while. I have a car.
0: <laughs> Alright, so, moving on from Cersei, continuing on with the Lannisters, we talked a little bit about him already, is Jamie. So, I think Jamie's hit rock bottom. Which is saying something, because season one pretty much starts with him throwing a kid out of a tower. So yeah.
1: and fucking his sister
0: and fucking his sister. So the arc here is interesting. Um, Jamie is an, a character I think they've done really interesting things with. Um, he's a character than when, when. John, are you one of the book readers or solely show?
1: Um, I've read the books. I have obviously watched the show and recapped it like a zillion times. I've never really gone back and reread the books after a first read okay. because they're like you know seventeen thousand pages. I mean, not like the later books are, and also like I just get angrier and angrier because like we still don't have right. Yeah, we're still
0: waiting for two. We're books still on. waiting.
1: Like Mueller turned in his report, and we still don't have.
0: Boom! Like, the so shit. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying.
0: Uh, Okay, so uh, that's a good reference point for me. Okay, so Jamie, like I said, has this weird arc where we start off with a really not likable character, right? And then he's kind of had this redemption arc that it's complicated, right? And I don't want to throw a ton of wrenches in here, but like his redemption arc includes a rape scene of his sister. Um, But his redemption arc with Brienne in particular right, and his love of Tyrion has made him kind of this, like, nuanced character that, like, he, and this is something George, <laughs> George, like, he's my buddy, George R. R. Martin does really well, which is these kind of very human characters that, like, they're not black or white, they're not traditional fantasy where it's, like, the knight or the, like, what is the episode of knight? Bad guy, whatever, I don't have the words there, but, um, but Jamie's a perfect example of that. Like, I'm hoping that Jamie, having now hit rock bottom, because he, I think he finally, you know, whose words are probably resonating in his head, Lady Oleana's, when yeah. she was like, she, she's going to be the death of you. Like, she was
1: denied her Emmy in that scene. That's, I,
0: I mean, her scene. Uh, for folks who remember back to the end of season seven, where she actually looks at Jamie's like, I'm a Kingslayer, bitch. <laughs> like, Tell
1: Cersei, I will. Tell Cersei, to know it was me.
0: Bloop. it's such a good moment right but i think that her words have ricocheted in jamie's head and, he and then when her. right when he comes back to cersei she's acting ridiculous she's plotting against the folks who are going to go fight the night king like everyone else is like trying to survive and she's still like oh but i've got to like recapture dorne it's like ridiculous so um we we also know i think he's got a little bit of trauma uh, from having nearly drowned and almost gotten burnt by dragons um So, I think he's just been through a lot, right?
1: Yeah, I really love what they've done with him, both in the books as well as on the show. I mean, I love visceral representations that I think are really mirroring of kind of where the narrative was going. And Brian definitely brought brought him home. I mean, the scene where they're, you know, bathing many seasons ago and he kind of actually tells Brian what actually transpired with the mad king versus what he's known for right. it was one of the most beautiful scenes obviously that um, is
0: really a very strong scene and i think that's where the jamie narrative just
1: turns it did and i really definitely am looking forward to seeing where his character goes he is at rock bottom so i think like if he dies i don't see him making it out of the series alive personally neither I don't, do. I,
0: so and i think we should do that like i i i don't think cersei makes it out alive sorry john uh, since this is our recap, that we're doing like little things, I don't think Jamie makes it out of this alive.
1: And I think either Jamie kills Cersei or something happens there. I mean, many times this has been rumored too in both the book as well as the TV show. If you kind of watch like how they've kind of all gone back and it's just the two of them now, I definitely don't see both of them making it up.
0: Well, and I would say if we're looking at some poetic justice and whatnot, hearkening back to that scene where Jamie is talking to Brienne about the Mad King, I think maybe, like, what we're talking about is Jamie coming to terms with the fact that his sister is the Mad Queen. Like, she's already used the, like, Mad King's, like, mad plan, right, at the Sept of Baelor, yeah, and then... she
1: did what he did not do.
0: Right, she did what he prevented from happening. And so I think, like, as we think... F- Forward, and we're looking at kind of how a lot of these not that George R. R. Martin's known for tying things in a bow But it would be poetic justice to have him be a queenslayer and nothing could be more devastating than that, but also nothing could kind of Give justification for why this arc has happened. So uh, So moving on from Jamie excited sure. to see what happens. I hope he he gets to tell his lady love Brienne that she is worthy of his attention, and he's unworthy of like. Yeah, I just I love them, so I'm really kind of pulling for them.
1: Yeah, they, I am really interested to see what happens there. Speaking of someone I don't really care about, you're on Greyjoy.
0: Well, thank you next. <laughs>
1: thank you next. He's obviously be off being an obnoxious prick somewhere still right. with his um, cousin, right? The, or what? Right? Isn't she his cousin?
0: No, so. Uh Euron is just out looking for or, like looking for the golden company for Cersei, right? He he's torturing Yara.
1: That's it.
0: Right. He's torturing But he has her basically. We think he has her. It's still a little ambiguous, but yeah. Totally mm-hmm. just off being a prick.
1: Yeah, uh, and he's getting the golden company for Cersei. So if we all remember from the season finale from the last season, um he had this whole acted out moment where he left after they showed the white and what happened and what's going on. And he he said he was going to go back to the iron islands because they obviously can't swim. And so he was just going to go back there and wait it all out for them to die. That was a plan and a plant that we found out later on in the episode where Cersei actually sent him to go out and get the golden company so she could continue her bloody battle for revenge.
0: Right. So another, next. uh,
1: next. And he definitely dies. He does not make it out of the series.
0: No, and I actually think he is either Yara or Theon's kill. So quiburn and uh, Clegane, the mountain. Uh, gonna keep it really simple. Still Frankenstein, still dead. <laughs> not- <laughs> I I do think that uh, we'll see. Actually, I'll keep that one to myself. But I do think Clegane has it coming. He had it coming. Oh yeah. so i think he has it coming i think we will see who who brings it so
1: yeah and i think quiburn is like gonna have like a monster slash maker sequence like i think either like clegane kills him or something happens. that would make
0: sense to me um that that would definitely make sense so all right so moving on john from the lannister and their folks we move on to the
1: targaryen yes I so love the where where are my dragon people? <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna start off with Daenerys Targaryen, obviously the queen of all of our souls. Danny Targaryen, BFF for life, dragon rider, queen lady, breaker of chains, breaker of hearts. Maybe. Um, So she is literally fucking Jon Snow. (laughs) That is is
0: literally where we left off last season. And it was such a good shag that it brought down the entire wall.
1: It did. I mean, hell. I I mean, wouldn't you?
0: I mean, that's what happens apparently when you fuck your nephew.
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, so um, Daenerys is back. She's getting with her she's discovered her feelings for john they obviously played that up real hard last year and then brought it out with you know the back end scene where sam is talking you know and basically goes over the fact that
0: but r plus l equals j
1: r plus l equals j and do you want to tell listeners for those that may or may not know
0: Right. So Bran definitely brings us up at the end of season seven. This is something that for years, book readers were speculating. So we now know um, that Rhaegar and Lyanna uh, are Jon Snow's parents, right? Rhaegar being Daenerys' brother. <laughs> so that makes him her aunt. Her and mind. we'll touch on this later when we get into the um, the Starks, but it makes this whole scene really interesting and kind of like their whole relationship very interesting. Do I think it's like a huge plot point? Like it's going to blow their minds and like they'll never have sex again and they'll just ignore each other? No. The Targaryens married brother and sister for Eternity. If you guys haven't read any of the history of the Targaryens, A Song of Ice and Fire is out. Also, the compendium The Dangerous Women has the story of the Blacks and the Greens, which is my favorite George R.R. R. Martin writing. And it's also about the Targaryens and the the days of the dragons. So, but yeah. So, yeah. Danny, aunt. John, nephew.
1: I mean, if Mitch McConnell and his family can do it for years, why can't they? <laughs> I went there. I'm sorry. Whatever. So continuing on Daenerys is um not with the lannisters she went back to fight um you know in the north she's one of the ones up north she's one of the ones up north she's down one dragon rest in peace viserion still can't even really watch that scene i get really really upset
0: rest in peace right because he's he's back. back like he's he's part of the dead um which we'll touch on that when we talk Night King. But. Yeah,
1: and she's basically ready to go to war to fight, you know, the Battle of the Night King, not fully knowing that Cersei's also plotting behind her back. Right. Although I think that they probably know. I don't think that Tyrion...
0: Look, like, don't tell the, me you're dumb enough to take Cersei at her word at anything.
1: Exactly, right. and I know Dandy's not dumb. However, I will say, this show... Minus the thirty million rape scenes that they use for plot points, which is a that huge problem. That was seasons problem.
0: one, one through four. That really has stopped. Uh, it, really it has
1: stopped. stopped. Yeah. But I know that there is a women's empowerment or like feminist angle to the ways in which they have really situated a lot of the women in the show. You know, it's very I mean, John. I I now.
0: would say this is a woman-centric story.
1: It so- is, and I'm just saying that with the reveal for Jon Snow, that if we go back and like Daenerys, who's like. Done all the work. And like if she dies day, in
0: childbirth in season eight, I'll burn she shit. She doesn't
1: get it. Like she's the one that gets to sit on the throne and John can sit with her. They can have a partnership or something, but
0: that's funny. It, you think Danny hard. will sit on the throne. That's
1: interesting. I want Danny to sit on the throne. And I have been, I know it's like one of those things that he's going to destroy us with or something. I know it's going to be a horrible reveal, but like I know a lot of critics were really upset and a lot of feminist Twitter as well was like, we've been watching the joe and seeing daenerys like come forward as like the queen the one that's going to save it and now all of a sudden john's finally figured out his crazy parentage and like he gets to usurp her hell no
0: that's so funny i would tell i would say and i'm a i'm a very staunch feminist i would say john's a better leader than danny <laughs> um
1: i think they have a great partnership that they can effectively do
0: right but i'm not worried because george r, r. martin's not known for happy endings so i don't think yeah any-
1: going to be happy which
0: I i'm totally fine with so speaking of not gonna be
1: a real rough couple of episodes right
0: right you know what john we really should just drink more and more each episode that goes by by the time we get to episode six we'll just be plastered and we'll accept whatever comes our way like whatever. i do think she
1: survives though i am calling it i think okay, she's so survived.
0: you think danny survives uh i do too actually I don't think she gets on the Iron Throne, but I do think she survives. So moving on to uh, more of the Targaryens and their folks, I'm including Tyrion Lannister here because he is Hand of the King. He has turned his back, not really, like they turned their backs on him, but he has left the Lannisters behind um, and with that has left winning behind because he keeps losing bits and pieces of the war. Um, He's a terrible strategist for war, apparently. Um, And then here's an interesting plot. Point that I think will come into play for this season uh, when John and Danny are having their um, happy smashing time. happy time. Um, we get a uh, turn of the camera to uh, <laughs> Tyrion uh, singing "Robins Dancing on My Own" in a corner, like he's just. Oh,
1: you went there.
0: I did. He seems, so some folks, on uh, so I'm, I'm part of what I would consider film Twitter or like, not like, I just, I follow film Twitter quite a bit and film Twitter loves Game of Thrones and people were really kind of split and they were like, I think he looks concerned because it's going to get in the way of the war. And I'm like, y'all are stupid. He's jealous. He's jealous. He's in love with her. Like, that's how I feel. I know there's other people that don't feel this way, but here's the thing. We haven't met anyone around Danny who does not fall in love with her. Like, it, it's I don't just, know if I. You don't agree with.
1: I don't with me. know. Yeah, no, I don't agree with you. I'm saying it now. Sorry.
0: Call <laughs> it all right. So I think he's jealous. John does not. Um, we'll see who's right. I mean, but obviously,
1: I, I think he might be jealous because I think he does love her. But I don't know if I don't know if within six episodes that we have, like that's a pursuit that I would think that very smart writers would go for.
0: Okay, so. <laughs> we'll see, but you're wrong. Uh, Marcy's
1: favorite words are...
0: <laughs> I was right. I was right. <laughs> Moving on, John, who else do we have with the target? We
1: have Davos Seaworth, who is still any king's little bitch.
0: I love Davos, but I also think he's he's willing to be anyone's bitch.
1: Uh, I mean, he is a moral compass of the show in many ways. And 100%. I do appreciate having him there. And, I, and the actor and the development of the character around him are, like, incredible. Um, I definitely think we see his long-term capabilities for planning when he looks and he saves Gendry and, you know, brought him north. And ultimately, I think what he'll go for in serving Danny like he served Jon Snow, it's gonna be really fascinating. And I love Davos, and I think he survives.
0: Yeah, he actually reminds me a lot. Did you watch uh, the first couple seasons of Walking Dead? Yes. He reminds me of Herschel. So just kind of um like yes. like a moral compass that like just kind of grounds the goodness in most scenes and like he inspires warmth in you. You just kinda of, like I will never ever process Davos figuring out that they killed Shireen and then yeah. like his scene with melisandre and john like that scene to me is one of the most powerful scenes in the whole show so i love speaking of i love davos so speaking of melisandre
1: speaking of melisandre everyone's favorite girl that has the necklace of power that i feel like every day when i take off my clothes and go to bed i'm like girl i feel you i feel you seriously um so she is actively hiding from Jon snow because if you remember davos going back to our favorite moral compass when he found out that uh she was integral in the killing of his favorite almost child you know um, shireen yeah it john you know being also a moral leader and you know being very much like his not father but you know uncle ned stark and having truth and everything kicked her out and said get out of here if you ever come back I'll, I'll 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 have you killed um so she is hiding from john but she's following him obviously because she knows that he plays a bigger part in the wars to come and she needs to be there because she obviously does have a part in that as well so i'm really interested to see where the melisandre aspect goes so, i mean
0: i yeah. think this connects to our next person in this crew which is Varys, right yeah so Varys is Uh, where we left off he's been helping Danny he's like he's like this the second deputy hand of the king or queen Um, he's still being sneaky I think Varys will always be the spider what's interesting is this has stuck with me and I actually just did a massive rewatch of all seven seasons and there's this one scene that is integral so when Jon arrives um, at Dragonstone uh, Varys and Melisandre are kind of overlooking the cliffs. Melisandre really wants to get the fuck out of here because he was like, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you myself, right? And, uh, and she says something strange to Varys. She was like, I've done my part. I've brought together fire and ice. And then he's like, you should probably like, uh, Varys, who seems to know Melisandre quite well, says you should leave here. And she says something to the extent of like, oh, I could leave, but you know, you and I both need to die on this land like in, in Westeros. And it's like, we are missing pieces of that puzzle of whatever that conversation is about. But I think it's kind of like establishing that there is a larger destiny that Melisandre and Varys are maybe more aware of than we know of. So also, I'm- like
1: in terms of magic, when you think if you're a book reader to a TV show watcher, this is the closest that we really get to kind of like this magical, mystical element of the show right. that's, not, that's in the books that really wasn't... Uh, I mean, it's part of the fantasy genre, but it really wasn't heightened like it was in the books. Like, we don't have the Lady Stoneheart, for example, right. who, as we can, we don't have to go there. But I think that when it comes to what we think about in terms of magic and the role magic, actual magic, not fantasy, because they're different, um, will play in the overall narrative. Her and Barris um, are specifically going to be linked. Right. And they so, both die.
0: Right. Okay, so going back to people dancing on their own, John? Oh. Jorah Jor-
1: Mormont. <laughs> um, I will say that I love Jorah, but he is always going to be pining away for his one true Ooh, love. He is Annie.
0: always the bridesmaid man.
1: Always the bridesmaid. I mean, he is Julia Roberts' my best friend's wedding, but without pain the gay well. BFF.
0: It's paint. Well,
1: well, maybe Sam will.
0: <laughs> so we we know that um, his grayscale was cured by Sam, which is great, right?
1: Yeah, thank um, God, because that shit looked nasty,
0: right? And I, I will say, I know you don't agree with me, but I think I think he is handling his jealousy with Jon better than Tyrion is.
1: I don't agree with you, but I definitely think that Jorah, like, because he pines away so hard for Danny, he's going to die in service of either, like, protecting her or something's going to happen there where she he's going to be that kind of last shield because obviously our characters are going to get separated a lot and he is her champion and her fighter and defender. And I'm sure maybe because they have alluded to it a lot, there will be a scene where like they talk about maybe he finally confesses his love for her, but who knows?
0: So it's interesting. I also think he's going to have a very heroic death, but I don't actually think it's going to have to do with Danny. I think so uh, Mormont's father was part of the night's watch, right? And, beloved by John and he was the commander right and we know to a certain extent that Jorah has let his whole family down and so I think honestly that there's a part of me that believes that like Mormont needs to redeem his legacy and to do that his fight would be at the wall it would be with the Night King it would be honoring his father's legacy it would be honoring little lady Mormont my favorite character in this entire series and her bravery. So I I do agree with you that I think we have like a very heroic death coming for Jorah. I just, I'm, I think it would be really, for some reason the only word I have for it is in Spanish, which is cursi, which I think is just kind of cheesy. Like, I think it'd be cheesy for him to die for Danny. I want him to die to remember Oh, like like Mufasa, Simba, remember who you are. I need Jorah to remember who he is. And he comes from a long line of badass fighters who were there to protect them.
1: Yeah, this, like, I mean, I think taking a pause from our character stuff, like, this is either going to be, like, the best final season of, like, any show, in my opinion, or it's going to be, like, one that we're just going to episode by episode rip apart.
0: Either way, it's going to be fun, right? It's going to be fun. I'm going to drink. <laughs> I think here's the thing, like Game of Thrones is a phenomenon. Like it is, I've even heard people say it's the last of the great shows because streaming and the way that we watch television is changing, but we have collectively, I'm going to say globally as a world, like as a world, been watching this show for almost a
1: decade. It really did what in the what is called the golden age of television. When you look at The Sopranos, that really started the golden age of television. I think this heralded in almost like a nice bookend. Well, and when, if you're yeah.
0: talking books, this reminds me a lot of <laughs> Harry Potter reference. This reminds me a lot of when Deathly Hallows came out we had collectively as a world been reading together for almost 10 years. And it was so strange because everyone's like, what happens when this ends? And it was like, look, nothing was going to lead up. Nothing was going to like capture the imagination of everyone waiting and waiting for a conclusion. But the conclusion didn't matter as much as the ride. Like, the, <laughs> like a, there's something to be said about when a fantasy narrative, and I will, I will remove the word fantasy when a grand narrative captures people and it causes dialogue and it makes people like, and Game of Thrones is a set of books. It's just, unfortunately they've been stalled. Um, it's just, it's a, it's something that doesn't happen very often. It's a rare moment in time. Um, and I've, I honestly like, am I going to bitch on the podcast if things go weird? Sure. But does that make this experience any less enjoyable? No, not not at all. Like, not at all.
1: And you know George R.R. R. Martin is like literally just waiting for the show to end so then he can just screw everything up.
0: Well, I've said that I expect the books to drop really quickly once the season's done. And I think that's going to actually be something that they've planned for a while. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So moving on from Jorah, uh, we can quickly go through Grey Worm, not a virgin anymore.
1: <laughs> oh, so happy for him.
0: I know, I know, and he's heading north uh, to meet his lady love, Missende.
1: Missende, who's also not a virgin anymore. Yay, yeah, Missende! Yay, yeah, get your, get your, get your freak on, okay. okay. Um, and she's in White Harbor with John and Danny by there her. No way they her to get son. a happy
0: ending. There's just yeah,
1: they're both gonna die, I and so they're both probably gonna come back as like whites or something. Like it's not gonna be pretty.
0: Right. And then for the loneliest man in the world, Dario Naharis is still in Marine, still not with Danny. <laughs> so
1: um, I don't think we're gonna be seeing him this year.
0: I don't think so either. Um all right, so now we can move on to the Greyjoys and where their people are.
1: So Yara is captured by the biggest <laughs> prick in the world, Euron. And he says that she's alive and that he really needs um, Theon to come save her. There's definitely some like triple way in which that that storyline, like Euron, Yara and the, um, uh, and uh, the Greyjoy specifically, like, when you look at the ways in which Euron is there like that's their kill that's Yara and Theon's kill so whoever and however that makes itself out that story i think will come to a close I, so I, agree, I
0: i agree yeah. entirely i think here's the thing i think for folks who are like i think yara's dead like i don't think so i think we've invested a lot of time in this redemption arc for theon theon needs to either die trying to save yara or or live, but like he's just—he has to go through the process of trying to save Yara, and it would be a completely nonsensical plot point. And remember, none of this is in the books now, so this is this is move. This is TV writing. It would be nonsensical to have him be like, "I am going to find my metaphorical balls and go and challenge my uncle and save my sister," since I have fucked everything over, and for it to just not for it to be a dead end would make no sense
1: to me. Yeah, I uh, definitely think he and Yuron die, and Yara lives.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, I could, I could. I'm good with that. I will tell you, Theon is one of my favorite characters in this entire show. I think Alfie Allen's performance has been one of the most underrated performances in the entire show. So um, I love him, but I, I agree. He does great that, work. But I, yeah, I, he does great work, and I'm I'm good with him, dead or alive. Not not like for real, but like I think anything. I think his, his arc is happening and is, is in process. So, mm-hmm. uh, so let's move on to where the Baratheons are.
1: Well, we have Gendry, um, (laughs) and he is still rowing. No, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) He is on his way north with Davos, and he's pretty proud of who he is. I mean, he's kind of come into his own. He's sexy as fuck. Um, And, you know, definitely he's going to serve, I think, a larger purpose. He's
0: made his his way north, right? And I think we get a sense that Davos views him like a son almost, which is good because he needs to heal from Shireen.
1: But when Gendry dies, <laughs> uh,
0: mm,
1: I'm really looking forward to Gendry and Arya seeing each other. That's
0: so funny. I I'm looking forward to them seeing each other. But I like I am part of the camp who's like I would really like Gendry for Sansa. I'd like Podrick for Sansa. I would just like Sansa to meet a nice guy, uh, not because yeah. I think women need men, but I think because she is becoming a little bit too hardened. And I'm like, nah, come back, girl. Give us a little bit of that softness, like a little bit. So, are like
1: total, like rad femme, like activists now. Like, we ain't. Right. Screw she's, patriarchy. A, she's. We're toppling the patriarchy.
0: She's a second wave feminist now. She's completely gone. Like,
1: full on second wave turtle woman feminist.
0: Agree. All right. So, now that we come to our, our largest group. Um, actually, similar size to the amount of folks that are with the Targaryens, the Starks. And their folks. So let's start off with the most obvious one, which is John. I was about to say John Stark, John Snow. uh, Actually, Aegon Targaryen, right? So that's I think his his real name. Uh, He is technically king in the north, but he did bow down or bend the knee for Danny. So I don't know what that makes him. (laughs) Like I think he's still king in the north, and like she's his queen. I don't know.
1: Yeah, just, I think that's it. He's king in the north and she's the his queen. queen. Like she, she's his queen, just like with Ned and-
0: But Ned wasn't Robert. king in the north. So Ned was- Yeah, just, that
1: was different. He was warden, warden on the, the north. north.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what that means, right? But John is dealing now also with the reality that his siblings are all back, right? So for a, for a while, they all thought they were orphans. And all of a sudden there's four of them. And I think that that's going to, you know, for people who have siblings, that's going to create a little bit of tension, a little bit um he still doesn't know who he is so everyone knows who he is except for him so i think we're waiting for sam or brand to be like yo you should really stop fucking your aunt
1: and from what i hear from all the like spoiler blogs like he finds out like in the first episode
0: that's what i've heard as well i don't think that's a spoiler to say that like the general consensus is that's not some some they're not going to drag that on any longer so we'll see what happens um I will say I again I just don't think it's going to be a huge plot point like uh, for for Danny and for their relationship. Do I think it's going to create a mess internally for John? Yeah. Because we know that he struggled really, you know, really so he struggled enough to go annex himself as a celibate man to a wall with a bunch of celibate men in black um because he hated himself so much because he was like the bastard child of like Ned Stark and like his his stepmom hated him and he just wasn't worthy of anything and like I think that this is going to be really confusing for him and I'm interested to see how they work through that since he's like a moody little man anyway so he's not a little man he's delicious but still Um, But yeah, we'll see how he works through his, because I would be full of rage. Like, I would just be like, are you kidding me? But then I think he has to understand that a lot of the secrecy was to keep him safe. And it's like, okay, well, safe from what? Also, you let him go to the wall. If, yeah, it's and, all
1: tempered I think in how they approach it and I think it just that's the the reason why for you and I it would be enraging but for him like he channels you know, it no I this.
0: was re-watching season yeah. one and there is an, a, a very distinct scene that has stayed with me where Uncle Benjamin, tells when you don't have the information it's it's one way but now that you have the information it's different when johns like i'm ready to take the black i'm ready and he goes i don't think you understand what that means like no children no legacy no anything i think if you knew what that meant for someone like you he says something like that i think benjamin is implying not like for a young kid who's never had sex he's saying for literally the heir to the kingdom so the fact that they let him go to the wall like that Ned's like, you know what, sure.
1: Hold the lie, yeah.
0: It's really dark, man. I, it's really dark. And if you look at the wall as a symbolism for kind of like celibate orders, right? Which is all it is. It's like a celibate order that is perpetually on the watch for evil. Like it's just, it's messed up. So I'm interested to see what happens. Obviously I see allegory there to like letting him join a cult pretty much. <laughs> so, All right, so who's next?
1: He, he definitely lives though.
0: That's, I don't know if he lives.
1: I think I'm marking it down as lives. Okay, we'll We're see. we create a bingo card. We should do we a really bingo should. Card.
0: Or we'll do That's a scorecard for how often you and I are right.
1: Yeah, we or need wrong. to do a bingo card. Okay, viewers, listeners, and viewers of the show, we are going to try to put together a bingo card of characters, and whoever gets bingo will, like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. Okay, I'm literally going to do that. Let's do it. So, all right. next we have Arya Stark, who's everyone's favorite psychopathic killer. Um, she gives Dexter a run for his money. All I'm I love say. her. I love her. Tread lightly. I want, <laughs> I want her to be my friend, but she killed all the phrase by phrase, like goodbye. Loved that scene. Ate that was it a up.
0: scene.
1: Was screaming at the watch party. I was like, oh, it was just amazing. Um, she killed Litterfinger because he's still a bitch and she and brianne are like bffs there's that beautiful
0: scene where her and brianne are kind of like sparring and it's like i think of this scene as like what it feels like for like kids to feel represented because it's like for the first time in her life she's looking at this glorious warrior woman and she's like oh that's who i want to be when i grow up right and I, i feel like that must be a very defining moment for the Aria we lost, not for this Aria. So I think the Aria that we meet in season one, meeting Brienne of Tarth would have been a mind blowing moment. I think it's bittersweet because I think Aria recognizes she can never go back to being the kind of like sweet girl that wanted to break some gender norms. Um, Cause she, like you said, she's like a dark little killer now.
1: <laughs> and speaking of, you know, I think really beautiful scenes with Aria, who has some of my favorite scenes in the whole series is the scene with Nymeria right before she gets back to Winterfell. That is and, a
0: seriously beautiful scene, but also, like, I think it's difficult.
1: Yeah, because Ny- Nymeria is like, gone off just like she has, and now, I mean, if you read the books, Nymeria is, like, leading, like, a wolf pack of, like, dire wolves and, like, you know, killing people and taking over the world and all that stuff, but that, they didn't pursue that line. I mean, they kind of gave it a little bit of, like, a shout-out, but Nymeria is not interested in Arya because she's no longer aria the one that that's she
0: like that's it met. isn't it it's that that's the acknowledgement like of your yeah saying you're not the girl that i you're not my girl anymore yeah. there's it's still like, like an acknowledge like she could have killed aria but she was like no i acknowledge the aria within you it's just you're you're not yourself anymore exactly. not even not yourself you're not that version anymore And so I think that's also an allegory to what it's like to grow up, right? Where like, I feel like a lot of us sometimes people are like, you're not who you used to be. And it's such a stupid thing to say. Of course I'm not.
1: And not to read into it, but I think Namiria is like, and neither am I.
0: That, no, 100%, 100%. And like, I think it's just a beautiful scene. Um, Like a
1: beautiful- Maisie Williams is like fabulous.
0: She is great. And speaking of fabulous, Sansa Stark- is technically Lady of Winterfell, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, She and Arya pull off a magnificent coup of power and uh, kill Littlefinger. Uh, So they killed Peter Baelish while having him convinced that he was playing them both. I will say that was the most difficult storyline for me in season seven. Aside from doing an expedition to capture a white, I think that the contrived dialogue between the sisters was extremely problematic in season seven but the payoff of of watching Baelish's face when he realizes this is not only is this not going to go well I feel like he's been in situations where things are not going to go well but when he realizes there's no way out Mm -hmm. and then he starts to beg like the like twerp that he is i thought that was amazing and i think it's solidified that this speaking of folks who are no longer themselves it's solidified that sansa is no longer the sansa we knew she is the type of woman who swings the sword the way her father did right
1: like well it's like when she came down the staircase at the veil like and and little finger recognized her as different when she had her hair different right, and she had her dresses. Right. like she has her part two now where he's like oh fuck.
0: yeah this is like 2.0 I think, um, I think it's she important. She went from
1: Windows 95 to Windows XE.
0: Well done. Thank she you. She doesn't trust anyone, but that's important. That's something she learned from Baelish. It's something she learned trust
1: no bitch, okay?
0: Yeah. Well, and she's, she tells John no one can protect anyone, right? So I think she's finally smart enough to have put aside fairy tales and have put aside chivalry and stuff, and she has become her own very powerful queen she commanded the pretty much the veil to come to her rescue she has been holding the north uh i just it's mind-blowing to think this is the same girl who in season one was like all i ever wanted in my life was to marry a prince um so i'm i i love sansa i think that, that for years it was like a ton of sansa hate hating on a little girl who literally made one bad decision which was
1: that haunted her for like well
0: and her bad decision wasn't even her own like like she is promised to Joffrey, not because she asked for it, but because that's what happens. And she's excited about it. And everyone held the fact that she was excited for a hot minute to marry a prince. She had no idea that, that she was about to be an integral part of the war of Kings. She had no idea that Joffrey was honest to God, the reincarnation of a human turd with an evil spirit. Like she could never have known that Baelish was was shit that her dad would die that Arya would be missing like that her brother and her mom would be killed like this girl has been through hell and back she's been sold and then was raped and tortured and like here she is standing her ground and I'm kind of like for everyone who needed a redemption arc Sansa never needed a redemption arc the girl needed a break right and yet she's like unbroken this is a girl who just like I, I just, I love Sansa. I don't,
1: unbent and unbroken.
0: Exactly. I don't think she'll be dead by the end. Uh, I think maybe she she'll lives. be married to Pod and they'll be wardens of the north or her and Gendry. Or I, I don't, I don't, I literally don't care. Her and Yara would be great. I don't care. Maybe she's torn mm-hmm. off men since they're shit. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, speaking of emotional people, um, we have Bran Stark, who is. An emo's kid, like and the, the emoist of all emo children oh God, yeah. like looks at Bran Stark and goes, Girl, too far.
0: Totally the our three eyed Raven is dead inside. Uh, it's an interesting transition. I don't particularly love it.
1: I mean, <laughs> because, obviously every scene with him is like I mean like, if you yeah. it's it's like pulling teeth because he talks so like monotone, but like you can definitely see the ways in which the transformation that he had to go through. And again, through like
0: I'm not going to hold world. it against him if I didn't hold it against his siblings. He's clearly not who he was before. He is now the three-eyed raven. He knows everything. Um, it'll be interesting to see for me what happens when Jamie Lannister shows up because Bran is all-knowing now. He's going to be like, thanks for the throw out the window, bro. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, thanks. Who knows? But, you know, I think the most important thing that he's going to be doing is, you know, I think he plays a great part in the final war with war gang and everything, but obviously being the information teller. You know, he right. tells Sam about, you know, John with R plus L equals J. And, you know, the gang's all back together for like a little bit before the war really comes. And there's a lot to look forward to.
0: Right. So, Peter Baelish, like we mentioned, is dead. He's going to still be dead when we get back, except maybe not because I honestly think that there is a very po- real possibility that Arya will use his face. So
1: Interesting, but he's yeah, still a little bitch.
0: I, he's still a little bitch. But um, but uh, yeah, I, I, he's definitely dead, but I, I do think we will see Peter Baelish again. He's obviously extremely useful and I feel like Cersei trusts him, so...
1: Yeah, we'll have to see what goes on there. I haven't really looked at like casting episodes and who's like in each episode. Game of Thrones
0: Thrones will not release any of that information to IMDb because obviously it would be spoilerish.
1: Yeah, and so you know we'll have to just play it by ear. Um, Speaking of people that Marcy loves, um, well, you like Peter a little bit. You love how he.
0: No, no, no. I love Peter. I I understand that Littlefinger is a shite person and what but there was something about him like there's been this question on twitter this entire week of like who do you relate to the most on the show and i think fundamentally i relate to sansa the most but if i'm being honest like and, and john i'll ask you the same question if i'm being honest i relate to sansa I used to really glorify these like idealistic views of the world and then the world just kind of fucks you over and it's like I feel like I'm a stronger person now and a better person, but like but fuck the world that fucks me over sometimes. Um, but I, I also love dogs. But there's something about Peter Baelish that I relate to, which is the scrappiness of like, I will survive. Like I don't give a shit about loyalty or any of that. I'm here to survive and to like to just do me and like do that as best as I can while living my best life. And like, I do relate to that. I really, really do. How about you? Who do you relate to fundamentally as a character?
1: Probably one of the brothel ladies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's true. No. Um, I think, you know, I really enjoy Varus. And I'm not trying to say that. Varys
0: is just like Baelish. You and I are the same. We're like, yeah.
1: But I like to pride myself on knowing everything. And Varys, there's definitely parts about him that become more humanized and that he saw the bigger picture. Like he saw the bigger picture, even though people thought he was the devil and Danny thought he was the devil. I mean, all this stuff, but like he's there and he saw the bigger picture and he serves up. And the per, when you think about Varys's role, all this stuff would not have come together if he would not have been playing a part in
0: it. I completely agree. I think I think Varys is fundamentally the puppeteer, so.
1: And hello. Hello. Um. Okay, so then we have Marcy's other favorite people that we love, uh, Liana Mormont. So she's still the most badass child in all of Westeros. She's Marcy's hero, and she's definitely going to die.
0: Here, (laughs) I was about to say, here's the thing. I cannot watch her die. I can't. I know that she's going to die. I know it. I know that she's going to come up like a little brave little zombie and then we'll have to kill her again, but I can't because she has been a breath of fresh air every time she's on screen, every single time. I love her with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my fibers. I want to be her when I grow up. Um, If I ever have children, which I won't. Um, I would name them Leona Mormont. <laughs> I would hundred percent. So <laughs> I'm going to be really, I agree with you that I don't think she's going to live. She has like a battalion of like 17 people, but God do bless you, her for being herself.
1: Do you think Bran lives? I do.
0: Yeah. I think Bran is eternal.
1: Yeah. I definitely think. Um,
0: I, <laughs> I have uh, theories about Bran that I, I'm not going to share, but I have theories about Bran. Um, yes, I don't think Bran, I don't think Bran dies. I don't think Sansa and Arya die either. Um, so. I think
1: Arya is gonna die.
0: No, I, I say this because, and this is public knowledge. I'm saying
1: it because I hope I'm wrong.
0: I, well, apparently, she is George R. R. Martin's wife's favorite character, and she has th- threatened him with a divorce if she dies. So, I think she's safe. Uh, so other folks that I really love are coming to the end of kind of like, where is everyone? Tormund, my beautiful, delectable seven-foot god, Tormund is still in love with Brienne, and we'll see what happens.
1: And he went on a crazy adventure that he wishes he didn't.
0: We all wish we hadn't got on that adventure. It was a waste of time and a waste of a dragon. So, and then finally, our last person is the Night King.
1: Um, So so he has a dragon, Viserion. (laughs) and he, he is coming to uh, like he is coming for westeros
0: right he's like oh y'all are fighting about some some free cities all right, <laughs> like, all right. let me show you
1: how a badass bitch hold plays. hold
0: my beer hold, right.
1: hold my beer hold everything like i'm gonna show you what's up
0: right so i think if i am thinking of how this is gonna play out i'm gonna guess we have six episodes i think the first Minimum, the first two, probably two and a half, maybe three. The first two to three are the the war with the Night King and the Whites and the Walkers. So I'm going to categorize this as the first part of this se- this season. I think is going to be the zombie part. The second part is going to be the throne part so um so i think we'll be seeing a lot of the night king at the beginning this is obviously under the assumption that we beat the night king um who the fuck knows maybe the night king gets the throne i just don't know Uh,
1: i definitely think the night king who is technically actually you know if you've read the books and the laura stark right
0: yeah He's, a, um, he's
1: an old school Stark. Old school Stark. Um, I don't think he's going to win. I think that because of the little tidbit that they gave us with like, if you once you kill one of the um, like Night King's captains, like the people that he's right. zombified, like go away. Which like
0: I, we, if, we learned that in Hardhome, I think. in The Hardhome episode is where we.
1: No, we learn it in the Expedition North episode. Your favorite storyline. Yeah, because they okay. kill that one white and then all the other ones die.
0: Okay. So yeah, we'll see what happens. We definitely have a bit of a a Walking Dead prequel to the finale of the show. So we'll see. Um, and, And I think, John, we actually kind of put our predictions throughout our kind of analysis. But do you have any overarching predictions that you want to go through?
1: Oh, my God. Well, okay. Let's do this. Who do you think ends up on the throne? Me. Always. Always.
0: Um...
1: I will be your spider to your queen.
0: Oh, so I'm going to go with my dream. And I, I I really hope that Varys ends up on the fucking throne. If not him, I I would love for Tyrion to get on that throne. Uh, it's not any of the normal folks. I also would be totally fine with Sansa ending up on that throne.
1: She's not going mm, I to. definitely think it's going to be Jon or Daenerys.
0: Okay.
1: I'm going okay. with like the romantic bring about some weird way i need that type of closure personally because something happened to me in my childhood
0: i think you're going to be so disappointed because this is not a rom-com we'll see what happens we'll see what you might be right you might there's there's quite a bit to point to the fact that you're right because at the end of the day this is a grand narrative and grand narratives do follow a pattern so so we'll see (laughs)
1: Um, I think the books when they come out are definitely going to be more nuanced and we'll have more of the like conclusive answers maybe but yeah I def we'll have to see
0: we'll have to see um yeah I think I mean it's so interesting right like I think fundamentally I want the Targaryen line to kind of live more so i would want them to have a child because i want more dragons and if there's more targaryens in the world and this goes back to the the greens and the blacks and some of the story that that isn't shared in in game of thrones but you know the targaryen the dragons kind of go hand in hand with targaryens and um and so we'll we'll see what happens there but we'll see Um, In regards to some of the major plot points that I think are important, who kills Cersei since there's a prophecy about it? The prophecy was like little brother. It can be either Tyrion or Jaime. I think that's Jaime's kill, to be honest.
1: Or is it Arya wearing one of their faces?
0: That could easily be another way that this happens. I agree.
1: I would be, I'm okay. I don't think Cersei dies until late in the series, like real late, like maybe last episode. But- that's one of the things I'm really okay with because Ari has gotten like kills throughout the series. Like, you know, she's definitely reduced her list, but like she was always denied the big kills, like the real big kills. Right. Besides Littlefinger. So. So,
0: yeah, I think, look, I think there's a lot to look forward to as we kind of close out this episode which, with our recap, like I think there's a lot to look forward to. I think even going through our list, John, I forget how much is still happening. Like, how much we still have to kind of cover in six episodes.
1: Yeah, we have, I mean, we didn't talk about him. Sandor Clegane, the Hound, is, you know, up north I, okay, as well. I'll be
0: honest. The, the Hound has to kill Frankenstein.
1: And he has will. To I him. totally think um, uh, Clegane Bowl, as a lot of people on the right message boards or the reddits or whatever the hell it is like i think it's definitely going to happen
0: agreed i'm also excited to see how the hound reacts to seeing Arya again
1: or how she reacts to seeing him
0: right because fundamentally i think they actually care about each other so
1: that was a great storyline i mean i know we're kind of going into tangents now but that was something that was really awesome
0: no completely I, i completely agree i think there's other like threads that need to be wrapped up so like the the lord of light and his role in bringing back john and like what's
1: religion this is a pop culture theologians podcast
0: right to a certain extent like what is the underlying if if it was a prophecy it is the lord of light that brought back john what does that mean like what are we looking at also like the faceless men like what the fuck i mean (laughs) like there's a lot of like loose ends that like i think a lot of us are kind of like it's time to tie them up um yeah, so obviously we already destroyed Catholicism because that was the Septic of Um Bye. <laughs> bye. Um,
1: but now we have new evangelical Christianity. Which would be the Lord of
0: Light, right? We've got Benedictine monks at the wall. Um, Yeah, no, it's interesting. We've got
1: mysticism and magic with the dragons.
0: If y'all haven't listened to it, there's a great podcast um, that does God of Thrones that breaks down the religious background uh, of a lot of the religions on Game of Thrones. Like, I'm an avid listener to all the Game of Thrones podcasts, so... Um, but that's a great one. I think they actually have put out two books on Gods of Thrones. So it kind of just breaks down where George. So George R. R. Martin famously got his idea for Game of Thrones from the world of the roses. But then he also talked about having been very inspired by different faith systems across the world. So we'll see. But I think John, that kind of concludes our our episode.
1: Marcy, do you want to tell our listeners who are new or returning kind of how we normally try to publish as soon as possible, stuff like that, so they know when they can look forward to our ranting?
0: Right. We will do our best to get out the episode within a couple days of the HBO show airing. So obviously John and I have full-time jobs. We don't make any money podcasting. Like we do this for fun. So, um, we kind of have to work it into our schedule, but we are super fans. We are going to do everything. Like we, we watch with like notepads. We're ready to go. We will record, we will drop, um, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, usually it only takes us a couple days. Um, you know, and definitely like, definitely like hit us up on Twitter. Like we, we love to interact on Twitter. We will be, so live tweeting is a little complicated, so we don't want to be spoilers for the show
1: because Marcy's three hours ahead of me.
0: I am three hours ahead of John. So, um, but we are like, I, I am on Twitter the entire time the show is on. So definitely like talk to us. And then if you have, if you have theories, something I'd like to posit is like, at the end of every episode we will go through the theories that are sent to us by anyone online so very excited we are happy to have you here we've kind of covered a wide range of shows so far so we know we're hitting kind of different bases but we're excited you're here for season three of the pop culture theologians with game of thrones
1: see you next time